Warning, the podcast you are about to listen to will contain detailed plot spoilers. If you do not wish to have the movie ruined for you, I recommend turning the podcast off now. Also, the podcast will contain graphic and explicit language. If you don't think your ears can handle it, turn the podcast off and go change your tampon. You have been warned. Welcome to the Movie Pit Podcast, presented by RMJ Media. Season Screaming Kitties, welcome back to the Movie Pit Podcast, the place where we dissect the good, the bad, and the downright spine-chilling of the cinematic world. This is Boozer, your festive host, and as we draw the curtains on 2023, we're serving up the final dish of the year, and it is a ho-ho horror treat. In this last episode of the year, we're unwrapping It's a Wonderful Knife a 2023 American slasher comedy that takes a wicked spin on the beloved 1946 Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Directed by the maestro Tyler McIntyre and scripted by the brilliant wordsmith Michael Kennedy, this flick boasts a cast that'll make your holiday spirits soar. It stars Jane Woodup, Jess McLeod, Joel McHale, Catherine Isabel, William B. Davis, and Justin Long. Instead of our protagonists recognizing past good deeds, we follow Winnie, portrayed by the fantastic Jane Woodup, as she uncovers a chilling truth. The number of lives she unwittingly has saved in the unsuspecting town of Angel Falls. In a yuletide journey packed with dark humor, unexpected twists, and just the right amount of slasher madness to keep you on the edge of your seat. So grab your popcorn and your favorite holiday beverage, spirits are encouraged, and snuggle up on your comfiest blanket because It's a Wonderful Knife promises a festive experience that's equal parts chilling and thrilling. In this episode, we dissect the intricate layers of this holiday slasher, the layers, the scares, and everything in between. But before we carve into the heart of our analysis, let's stoke the festive flames with a sneak peek, the trailer of It's a Wonderful Knife. Get ready to be tantalized, terrified, and thoroughly, hopefully, entertained. So without further ado, let's give a listen to the trailer, and remember, folks... We'll be right back to unwrap our thoughts on this holiday horror delight, so stay tuned. Angel Falls, I give you Christmas. The lights are so pretty. This is perfect. Oh, what did you eat? me. Time to let that go. No one cares. Everyone would be better off if I was never born. Did you see that? Did the power go out? Oh my god. Ah! I 
stood under the Aurora and said everyone would be better off if I never existed. Well, wish granted. Angel strikes every couple of weeks. How can that be? Do I know you? It's Winnie. You know that. Okay. This her? Hi. Hi, I'm Henry Waters. You're safe now. He's not gonna get you. No one in this town knows me. Who are you? Dad. You weren't around to stop him, so he just kept going. He likes killing. I'm here now. Let's have some fun. Hey, you. Hey. Merry Christmas. We gotta stop him and get my life back. You'd be safe now. Please. The opening scene of It's a Wonderful Knife sets the stage for a Christmas tale unlike any other. The commercial for controversial businessman Henry Waters serves as a clever overture, providing viewers with a glimpse into the extravagant life of this pivotal character. The commercial not only establishes the tone, but also foreshadows the looming darkness that will unfold in the narrative. Subsequent Christmas Eve tree lighting ceremony in the quaint town of Angel Falls is a crucial event, bringing together the community and introducing key characters. Henry Waters, accompanied by his trophy wife Evelyn and underachieving brother Buck, is showcased in the spotlight. The contrast between the festive atmosphere and the underlining tension is palpable, hinting at the complexities that will unravel as the story progresses. The dynamic between Henry Waters and realtor David Carruthers is subtly introduced during the ceremony. Henry's ability to pull David away from his family foreshadows the manipulative nature of their relationship. This maneuvering hints at the darker motives that drive Henry, setting the stage for the conflicts that will unfold. The choice to have David visit Roger Evans immediately after the ceremony adds an element of mystery. Roger's refusal to sell his property to Henry becomes a pivotal plot point, creating an immediate source of tension. This decision not only connects key characters, but also initiates a chain of events that will shape the story's trajectory. The family dynamics within the Carruthers household are established during the ceremony. Judy, Winnie, and Jimmy represent the idyllic family, a stark contrast to the discord introduced by Henry's interference. The intrusion of their family time sets the groundwork for the emotional turmoil that will befall the Carruthers family. Winnie and Jimmy, the teenage children, serve as the audience's entry point in the story. The separation from their father hints at the challenges they will face, establishing an emotional connection with the audience. The stage is set for a narrative that not only explores external conflicts with Henry Waters, but delves into the internal struggles within the Carruthers family. The introduction of Henry Waters as a total slimeball is skillfully executed. From the commercial to his manipulative actions, the audience is given a clear understanding of this character, creating an instant dislike for him. This aversion sets the foundation for the audience's engagement with the film as they eagerly anticipate Henry's comeuppance. The pivotal confrontation between Henry Waters, David Carruthers, and Roger Evans serves as a catalyst for the sinister events that unfold in It's a Wonderful Knife. This scene not only establishes the central conflict of the story, but also introduces the menacing presence of the quote-unquote The Angel with a shocking act of violence. The casting of William B. Davis as Rogers adds a layer of familiarity and nostalgia for audiences acquainted with his, uh, with his iconic role in The X-Files. 
Davis brings a seasoned and commanding presence to the character of Roger, amplifying the impact of his steadfast refusal to sell his home. This refusal becomes a symbol of resilience against the encroaching commercialization represented by Henry Waters, enhancing the thematic weight of the narrative. The swiftness of Roger's departure, marked by the gruesome throat slitting by the angel, is a jolting twist that immediately intensifies the stakes of the film. The brutality of this act serves as a stark contrast to the festive holiday setting, subverting traditional Christmas tropes with a chilling sense of horror. The choice of having the angel wear a white robe adds an eerie and otherworldly quality to the killer, heightening the psychological impact on the audience. In horror stories, characters often meet untimely ends, and Davis's recognizable presence allows for a powerful and unexpected departure. This abrupt exit not only serves to shock the audience, but also propels the plot forward, leaving the town in shock and setting the stage for the looming door. The murder of Roger not only escalates the stage, but it becomes the driving force for the characters, particularly for Winnie and her family. Uh, the repercussions of this act ripple throughout the plot, amplifying the emotional weight of the story. Roger's murder becomes the catalyst for the Carruthers family's entanglement with the angel, setting them on a path of discovery and peril. The next scene unfolding at the Carruthers' house not only introduces more key characters, but also begins to weave the intricate tapestry of the film's exploration of LGBT subject matter. Um, Judy's hosting of her sister Gail Prescott and Gail's wife Karen Simmons sets the stage for familial dynamics while providing a nod to iconic characters from the horror genre. And it also needs to be noted that they do make reference that the Carruthers' son Jimmy is also gay because the mom says, well, here's a rainbow ornament for my gay son. A little on the nose, but did get a chuckle out of me. Um, and the character of Gail Prescott, the name serves as a clever nod to the characters uh, Gail Weathers and Sidney Prescott from the Scream franchise, adding a touch of intertextuality to the narrative. This reference may resonate with horror enthusiasts enhancing their engagement with the film. Additionally, Gail's enjoyment of alcohol has a layer of realism and, re and relatability to her character, contributing to the authenticity of the family gathering. The introduction of Roger's granddaughter, Kara Evans, and her role in driving Winnie Carruthers to a party adds a dimension of friendship and camaraderie. As Winnie, Jimmy, Eddie, and Kara converge at Robbie Olinger's house, the ensemble cast begins to take shape. The diversity of characters reflects the cross-section of the community, setting the stage for the film's exploration of social dynamics. The inclusion of Bernie Silliman, affectionately labeled as Weirdo by the town, brings attention to the theme of ostracization and the consequences of social judgments. Winnie's attempt to be friendly with w Bernie highlights her compassionate nature, contrasting with Darla Berlin's interruption of this interaction. This interaction foreshadows the deeper connection between Winnie and Bernie, establishing the groundwork for Bernie's integral role in the unfolding story. In the next sequence where the angel kills Eddie and subsequently slaughters Kara is a masterclass in blending horror and gore with unexpected twists. The candy cane that comes straight plunging through Eddie's mouth is a visceral and shocking moment, showcasing the film's commitment to delivering gruesome and impactful deaths. This particular death not only adds an element of brutality, but also signals to the audience that the film won't shy away from 
pushing the boundaries of traditional cinema, uh, Christmas horror. The death of Kara, which unfolds in front of the panicked partygoers, elevates the horror to a new level. The brutality and explicitness of her demise contributes to the film's overall tone of visceral horror. It is a pivotal moment that disrupts the expected trajectory of the story, leaving the audience in suspense and shock. The willingness to embrace the brutal consequences of the angel's actions reinforce the film's commitment to delivering a true horror experience. The attempted killing of the Carruthers siblings by the angel adds an intense layer of suspense. The fact that Winnie saves her brother Jimmy by electrocuting the angel with jumper cables introduces an inventive and unexpected twist to the typical slasher scenario. This act not only demonstrates Winnie's resourcefulness and courage, but also sets the stage for her role as a central figure in the battle against the killer. The unmasking of the angel to reveal Henry Waters adds a layer of complexity to the narrative. While the reveal might be telegraphed, it serves a dual purpose. On one hand, it provides a satisfying resolution to the mystery of the angel's identity, tying together various plot threads. On the other hand, it serves as a precursor, hinting at the deeper layers of deceit and malevolence that will be unraveling as the film progresses. The one-year jump in It's a Wonderful Knife serves as a pivotal moment, allowing the audience to witness the aftermath of the Christmas Eve massacre and the lasting impact on Winnie Carruthers. Winnie's disappointment in not being accepted to NYU becomes a lens through which her character struggles with the trauma and upheaval of her life. This sequence not only explores Winnie's personal challenges, but also sets the stage for the larger critique of her family dynamics and the town of Angel Falls. Winnie's chastisement of her family for favoring Jimmy due to his new business partnership with her father, David, speaks to the tensions within the Carruthers household. The disparity of the treatment of Jimmy and Winnie reflects a broader issue of unequal expectations and favoritism, adding layers to the family dynamic. Winnie's frustration becomes a vehicle for the film to address deeper themes of familiar relationships and the aftermath of the tragedy. The critique of the town for largely ignoring the events of the previous year expands the story's scope, transforming it into kind of a social commentary. Winnie's frustration with the collective amnesia of Angel Falls sheds light on the town's complicity in overlooking or burying uncomfortable truths. The story's choice allows the film to explore not only personal trauma, but also the communal responsibility in acknowledging and addressing shared tragedies. The annual Christmas Eve party at Robbie's becomes a backdrop for unveiling hidden secrets and betrayals. Robbie's secret affair with Darla behind Winnie's back adds a layer of personal betrayal to the larger story. This revelation not only intensifies the emotional stakes for Winnie, but also demonstrates the film's commitment to weaving interpersonal conflicts into the fabric of the horror narrative. Winnie's interaction with Bernie becomes a crucial turning point in the story. Bernie, introduced earlier as the loner character, emerges as a confidant for Winnie. The bond between these two characters becomes a source of support and understanding, offering a glimmer of hope against the turmoil. This relationship underscores the film's exploration of empathy, connection, and resilience found in unexpected places. I did want to point out earlier at the Carruthers house, because I skipped over it, um, there's a nod to a Christmas story through uh, Winnie trying on the pink tracksuit that the parents uh, buy her, and this adds a touch of humor and just a touch of nostalgia 
for holiday films to this particular holiday story. Um, this homage not only interjects a moment of levity, but also serves as commentary on the expectations and disappointments associated with Christmas gifts. Um, Winnie's disdain for the tracksuit juxtaposed with her brother's new pickup truck becomes a poignant expression of her sense of injustice and resentment within the family. The decision to echo the classic It's a Wonderful Life by having uh, Winnie wish that she was never born on the bridge, obviously it had to be done. It's a clever nod to the iconic film. This choice not only pays homage to the source material, but also sets the stage for profound exploration of alternate timelines and the consequences of one's existence. The addition of the Aurora Borealis be, uh, being involved with this adds a mystical and ethereal element to the moment, emphasizing the otherworldly nature of Winnie's wish and subsequent journey. The shift to the alternate timeline where Winnie never existed introduces a nightmarish version of Angel Falls. The transformation of Buckwaters into the town sheriff is a believable evolution given the power dynamics established earlier. However, his character not being portrayed quite as bumbling as initially introduced is something that needs to be taken note of. Uh, maintaining consistency in character traits could have reinforced the film's narrative cohesiveness. The predictability of Henry Waters becoming the mayor, as foreshadowed earlier, adds a layer of inevitability reminiscent of the Pottersville scenario in It's a Wonderful Life. This deliberate parallel serves as commentary on the impact of the individual actions on the fabric of a community. The film skillfully utilizes the familiar trope to create a sense of foreboding and amplifies the stakes for Winnie as she navigates this alternate reality. The change in the mom, Judy, becoming an alcoholic in this altered timeline is a creative twist that adds depth to the narrative. This shift serves as a visual metaphor for the town's descent in the darkness, paralleling personal struggles within the Carruthers family. The film's ability to utilize subtle visual cues to convey the altered reality is a testament to its storytelling prowess. The revelation about Judy's descent into alcoholism and her open affair with Wyatt Stone paints a bleak picture of the consequences of Winnie's absence. The family dynamics in this alternative timeline become a haunting reflection of the interconnectedness of lives and the profound impact one individual can have on those around them. The decision to have David insist that he does not have a daughter is a gut-wrenching moment that heightens the emotional stakes and underscores the gravity of Winnie's absence. Joe McHill's character shift from comedic to dramatic is a notable aspect of the film's total complexity. This portrayal of David undergoes a significant transformation showcasing McHill's versatility as an actor. While there may be debates about the subtle uh, suitability of casting him in this role, his ability to convey the emotional weight of the narrative demonstrates his range as a performer. The shift in tone is a calculated choice that adds depth to the film's exploration of grief, loss, and the profound impact of one's presence or absence. The revelation at Bobby's house party, where Winnie discovers that the town's teens have become drug-addicted burnouts in this alternative timeline, introduces a disturbing and unexpected twist to the story. The transformation of the once vibrant and lively young residents into meth-addicted shadows of themselves as a layer of horror that goes beyond the supernatural elements of the angel killer. 
I do think the decision to depict the town's teens as burnouts um, serves as a chilling commentary on the potential societal, uh, societal ramifications of altered timelines and the absence of a central figure like uh, Winnie. The juxtaposition of the party's chaotic and disheveled atmosphere with the vibrant and energetic scene expected in a typical teen gathering creates a stark contrast. Um, this story choice not only adds an element of societal horror as mentioned, but also reinforces the film's broader exploration of the interconnectedness of vibes. Once again, the revelation of Bobby and Darla's three-year relationship, hidden behind the facade of Winnie's unawareness, is a poignant moment of betrayal. The subtle imagery shown earlier, perhaps hinting at the infidelity, becomes a narrative breadcrumb that astute viewers can pick up on. This revelation deepens the emotional turmoil for Winnie, underscoring the profound impact of her absence on the relationships of those around her. The killing of the meth-addled partygoer by the angel outside adds a gruesome and visceral layer of to the horror narrative, with a sinister uh, to refrain from showing the actual kill depicting the aftermath is a clever use of suspense and uh, suggestion. Um, this technique allows the audience's imagination to fill in the gaps, heightening the horror through implication. Uh, the brutal aftermath serves as the visual shock that resonates without relying on gratuitous violence, showcasing the film's ability to evoke terror through subtlety. Summing up this part of the film, um, the portrayal of the teens as drug-addicted burnouts and reveal of Robbie and Dar Darla's uh, infidelity contribute to the film's exploration of societal decay, the consequences again as al of altered timelines. Uh, these elements go beyond the traditional slasher genre, adding layers of social commentary and psychological horror. These successfully navigate between the supernatural and the grounded, creating a narrative that resonates on multiple levels. The partnership that develops between Winnie and Bernie in this film introduces a dynamic shift in the story, transforming their characters into a formidable duo set on uncovering the truth behind the angel killings. This alliance not only propels the plot forward, but also explores themes of resilience, friendship, and the power of a shared purpose. Winnie's ability to convince Bernie to join her in stopping the angel highlights her persuasive nature and the desperation she feels in the face of apparent apathy from the rest of the town. The acknowledgement of their shared status as loners adds a layer of camaraderie, emphasizing their mutual understanding of being outsiders. This connection becomes the foundation for their partnership that unfolds, uh, creating a bond between two characters who find solace in each other's company. Bernie's revelation that she has been conducting her own investigation into the, into the angel killings adds complexity to her character. It showcases her resourcefulness, intelligence, and determination to uncover the truth. The fact that Bernie has independently pursued the case for a year underscores her resilience and commitment to justice, positioning her as a key ally for Winnie in their quest to unmask the angel. The revelation that Henry Waters is the killer and the victims are strategically chosen from the families who own businesses eventually purchased by him adds a layer of conspiracy and malevolence to the plot. This revelation aligns with Winnie's experiences in the alternate timeline, providing a narrative thread that connects the horror elements with the broader exploration of the town's darker secrets. It transforms the angel from a random killer to a calculated force 
Winnie's attempts to explain the alternate timeline she experienced showcase the film's willingness to delve into complex narrative structures. The supernatural elements of Winnie's journey adds a layer of mystery and intrigue, expanding the film's scope beyond a conventional slasher. The introduction of parallel timelines raises questions about the nature of reality and the consequences of altering one's existence, adding a philosophical dimension to the horror, uh, horror story. Bernie's suspicion that Winnie could be the killer injects a level of uncertainty into the partnership. This moment of tension adds a psychological layer to the story as well, exploring themes of trust and doubt. It showcases Bernie as a character with her own agency, unwilling to blindly accept Winnie's claims without scrutiny. This dynamic creates a more nuanced portrayal of their relationship, infusing the narrative with suspense and unpredictability. The intrusion of the angel breaking in to attack Winnie and Bernie serves as a climatic moment that heightens the stakes as well. The physical threat they face reinforces the danger posed by the killer and propels the story toward the next phase of their investigation. The choice to flee to the movie theater where Bernie works adds a layer of symbolism. The theater becomes a sanctuary, a place of refuge, a setting that holds personal significance for Bernie. This choice contributes to the film's exploration of safe spaces in the face of horror. The development of Winnie and Bernie's relationship as they speculate on Winnie's situation and fall asleep watching Christmas movies adds a humanizing touch to the narrative. <laughs> Amidst the horror and suspense, these moments of connection provide a counterbalance, underscoring the emotional depth of characters. It adds a layer of authenticity to their evolving friendship, making their partnership more relatable and emotionally resonant for the audience. The morning after Bernie and Winnie's harrowing encounter with the angel, the film takes an intriguing turn as Bernie uh, presents her research on the Aurora Borealis. This development not only deepens the supernatural elements of the story, but also introduces a compelling folkloric backdrop. The local folklore attributing the lights to the spirits of those who died violently provides a mystical and eerie context. Bernie's theory that it was Henry Waters who somehow manipulated the Aurora Borealis to transport Winnie to this alternate reality adds a layer of mystery and malevolence to the character of Henry Waters. The film cleverly connects the supernatural occurrence to local beliefs, creating a narrative thread that ties together the horror elements with the town's lore. Bernie's deduction that Henry Waters is the key to Winnie's return introduces a clear and urgent objective, setting the stage for the impending confrontations. The use of personal stories to convince that Gail of Winnie's real identity becomes a strategic narrative choice. It's not only underscores the importance of familial bonds, but also reflects the film's exploration of the emotional impact on altered timelines. This scene highlights the resilience of the human spirit and the power of personal connection to transcend alternate realities. The willingness of Aunt Gail to accept Winnie based on these personal stories adds a poignant touch to the film, reinforcing the theme of familial ties. The ensuing confrontation with David, Winnie's father, introduces a complex emotional dynamic. Winnie's desperate attempts to convey Henry Waters' identity as the angel, coupled with David's seemingly unwillingness to believe that his boss killed Jimmy creates a tension-laden scene. 
the film cleverly plays with the audience's expectations, leaving them on the edge of their seats as the characters grapple with the conflicting truths. This moment adds a layer of psychological horror blurring the lines between re reality and perception. The reluctance of David to accept the truth about Henry adds a layer of intrigue to the story. It raises questions about the extent of Henry's influence and control over the town's residents, particularly those in position of power. This film skillfully utilizes this ambiguity to build suspense and deepen the mystery surrounding the angel killer and Henry Waters. The film successfully weaves together supernatural elements, local folklore, and familiar connections. The convergence of these narrative threads not only enriches the storytelling, but also sets the stage for the next phase of Winnie and Bernie's quest as they navigate the complexity of the town's lore, personal relationships, and the sinister truth lurking beneath the surface. The film continues to captivate the audience with its blend of horror suspense and emotional res uh, resonance. Uh, the stage is now set for the confrontation with Henry Waters and the resolution of Winnie's journey between worlds. The emotional climax at the Carruthers' house serves as a pivotal moment in the film, revealing shocking truths about the angel killer and unraveling the complexity of the characters' relationships. The sequence not only intensifies the horror elements, but also delves deeper into the psychological and emotional elements of the story. David's angry dismissal of Winnie as not his daughter adds a heartbreaking dimension uh, to the story. This moment encapsulates the emotional turmoil of the core of the film, exploring the profound impact of altered timelines on familial bones. The film adeptly utilizes the revelation to emphasize the toll of Jimmy's murder on David, creating a poignant connection between personal tragedy and the supernatural horrors unfolding in Angel Falls. The sudden and brutal killings of Judy and her lover Wyatt Stone by the angel inject a jolt of horror into the scene. The film employs shock value to elevate the stakes and keep the audience on edge. Uh, the visceral nature of these killings undergo underscores the brutality of the angel, maintaining the slasher genre's signature tension and horror. Winnie's shocking discovery that her father, David Carruthers, is the angel killer unveils a sinister twist that challenges the audience's assumptions. Um, this revelation not only subverts expectation, but also deepens the film's exploration of the psychological toll of grief and manipulation. The film skillfully navigates the line between supernatural horror and psychological thriller, keeping the audience engaged in the unfolding mystery. As Winnie, Bernie, and Gail retreat to the movie theater to regroup, the story pivots towards a strategic confrontation, setting a trap to bait David, adds a layer of suspense and strategy to the plot. The decision to return to the movie theater becomes a symbolic choice, emphasizing the importance of this space as a refuge and a battleground in the fight against the supernatural forces plaguing the town. The revelation that Jimmy's murder may have broken David allowing Henry to control him um, adds a psychological layer to the narrative. The film explores the vulnerability of the characters and the manipulation that can arise from profound grief. This revelation not only deepens the thematic exploration of the consequences of violence, but also sets the stage for the moral complexities of the impending confrontation with David. Bernie's suggestion that Winnie may have to kill her deranged father to return to her timeline 
introduces a moral dilemma that adds complexity to the character's motivations. The decision confronts Winnie with an agonizing choice, challenging her ethical boundaries and underscoring the sacrifices she may have to make to set things right. The film skillfully uses this moral quandary to heighten the emotional and psychological stakes, placing its characters in a morally gray landscape. The unexpected arrival of Robbie and Darla at theater during the annual tradition of the tree lighting injects a sense of unpredictability to the story. This, ad, this twist adds a layer of suspense and chaos, shattering the characters' attempts to regroup and re-strategize. The film employs this narrative choice to underscore the relentlessness and unpredictable nature of the angel killer, emphasizing the horror trope of nowhere being truly safe. The decision to include Robbie and Darla in the theater scene adds a cruel irony to their fates. Their annual tradition, which was supposed to be a moment of lighthearted escape, transforms into a deadly encounter with the angel. This unexpected turn amplifies the horror as characters who are believed to be safe become victims of the relentless killer. The film utilizes the twist to subvert audience expectations and maintain an atmosphere of suspense and dread. The killings of Gail, Darla, and Robbie in quick succession create a harrowing climax. The film does not shy away from the brutality of the angel's attacks, delivering visceral and impactful death scenes. The rapid sequence of deaths heightens the film's tension, contributing to a sense of helplessness and despair among the remaining characters. This plot choice reinforces the stakes of the final confrontation and drives home the emotional toll of the angel's rampage. Gell's demise in this timeline serves as a poignant reminder of the film's willingness to sacrifice characters for the sake of horror and narrative impact. While her early exit may evoke disappointment, it also contributes to the film's ability to defy genre conventions and keep the audience on the edge regarding the fates of the remaining characters. Winnie's final confrontation with the angel resulting in the impalement of the killer through the chest brings a sense of resolution to this intense sequence. The confirmation of the angel's identity as David Winnie's father adds a chilly layer to the horror. The film skillfully reveals this information in the climactic moment, amplifying the emotional and psychological impact for Winnie and the audience. The impalement serves as a symbolic act of triumph over the supernatural force that had wreaked havoc on Angel Falls. A poignant moment where Bernie confesses her planned suicide and opens up about her struggles in this film adds a layer of emotional depth uh, to the narrative. While the reveal may be considered heavy-handed, it serves as a crucial purpose in highlighting the gravity of Bernie's internal struggles and underscoring the impact of Winnie's presence in her life. Also, Bernie's admission of contemplating suicide is a stark and raw revelation that contributes to the film's exploration of darker themes. This revelation not only adds a layer of realism to Bernie's character, but also addresses the weighty subject of mental health. I think the film takes a bold step by addressing such a sensitive topic uh, within the context of a horror comedy, comedy, demonstrating its commitment to exploring complex and multifaceted themes. The decision to include this revelation aligns with the film's overarching exploration of the consequences of altered timelines and the interconnectedness of lies as mentioned previous. Bernie's personal struggles becomes an integral part of the narrative, emphasizing the impact that Winnie's presence has on the lives of those around her. 
The heavy-handedness of the reveal, as mentioned, may serve to emphasize the urgency and severity of Bernie's situation, compelling the audience to emphasize with her play. Winnie's role in convincing Bernie that her life matters adds a redemptive and uplifting element to the story. This dynamic not only reinforces the theme of interconnectedness, but also explores the potential for positive change and influence even in the face of supernatural horror. Winnie's ability to offer solace and hope to Bernie creates a nuanced depiction of friendship and support, transcending the typical or conventions. The moment of Winnie's failed attempt to return home despite making a wish to the Aurora Borealis introduces a twist that subverts audiences' expectations. Or did they? This narrative choice adds an element of complexity to the film's resolution, leaving the audience in suspense and uncertainty. The expectation that Winnie's wish would be instantly granted is challenged, creating a sense of anticipation and intrigue. The climatic sequence in an It's a Wonderful Knife, where Henry Waters is revealed possess mind control powers, serves as a significant narrative pivot and a departure from the established tone of the film. The unexpected twist introduces a supernatural element that it may appear disconnected from the earlier parts of the movie. Analyzing this aspect involves exploring both its impact on the narrative and its potential implications for the film's the thematic co uh, coherence. The sudden revelation that of Henry's mind control powers occurs during the public event where he horrifically murders his brother Buck in front of the mesmerized audience. This shocking display of violence serves to heighten the stakes and intensify the horror elements of the film's climax. The entranced townspeople akin to zombies, adding a chilling dimension to the scene, create, creating a tableau of psychological and supernatural horror all intertwined into one. One notable aspect of this uh, revelation is the lack of, of foreshadowing or hints leading up to it. Um, the film doesn't provide any groundwork or clues regarding Henry's extraordinary abilities, uh, which leave the audience feeling disoriented during the sequence. Foreshadowing is a key storytelling element that helps prepare viewers for significant plot developments, and the absence of it in this instance may contribute to a sense of abruptness and inconsistency in the story. The mind-controlled powers can be interpreted as a narrative device employed to elevate the tension and complexity of the final confrontation, while this choice adds a layer of unpredictability and also introduces a fantastical element that contrasts with the film's earlier focus on slasher and psychological horror. The sudden introduction of supernatural abilities can create a narrative challenge in terms of maintaining thematic co uh, coherence in audience engagement. Winnie's confrontation with Henry about David's death adds an emotional layer to the scene. The revelation of David's demise serves as a catalyst for the ensuing conflict, intensifying Winnie's personal stakes and providing her with a moral imperative to stop him. However, the emotional impact of this revelation is somewhat overshadowed by the fantastical nature of Henry's mind control powers. Um, which may dilute the gravity of the moment. That's just my opinion. A fight sequence involving Winnie, Henry, Bernie, and Henry's wife, Evelyn, brings together multiple characters in a chaotic clash. The inclusion of Evelyn in the confrontation adds a layer of complexity to the dynamics, but the sudden resolution when, with Bernie stabbing Henry may feel somewhat rushed. 
the film's choice to liberate the townspeople from Henry's influence and the demise brings closer to the mind control subplot, but it raises questions about the origins and limitations of these powers. The final moment where Bernie and Winnie share a kiss before Winnie wakes up in the original timeline introduces a bittersweet note to the resolution. While it provides a sense of closure for the characters, it doesn't fully address the lingering questions about the supernatural elements introduced in the time alternate timeline. The film leaves certain aspects open-ended, inviting interpretation but potentially leaving some viewers wanting more clarity. The conclusion of It's a Wonderful Knife brings a mix of emotional resonance and narrative complexity with uh, Winnie and Bernie's reunion and an unexpected revelation that we'll get into here in a minute. Um, this turn of events not only adds a layer of intricacy to the resolution, but also prompts viewers to contemplate the film's thematic choices and their impact on the on the movie's co coherence, as I've mentioned. Um, Winnie's rush to Bernie's house upon recalling uh, Bernie's plan to commit suicide is a poignant moment that underscores the enduring bond and relationship between these two characters. It reaffirms the film's exploration of the profound impact one individual's can have on another's life. Um, the urgency in Winnie's action contributes to the emotional weight of the scene, highlighting the film's ability to balance horror elements with genuine moments of connection. Winnie's encounter with Robbie and Dar Darla along the way provides a moment of rec reconciliation and blessing from Winnie. Um, while this scene serves as a gesture of forgiveness, it doesn't fully address the lingering questions surrounding the alternate timeline. The film, intentionally or not, keeps the supernatural elements somewhat enigmatic, leaving films to grapple with the unexplained nature of characters' awareness of events that transpired in the alternate reality. The revelation when Winnie gets to the house that Bernie remembers everything from the alternate time timeline introduces a narrative twist that can be both intriguing and very fucking confusing. The lack of a clear explanation for Bernie's re retained memories may leave some viewers seeking a logical framework within the film's universe. The absence of established rules for characters' awareness across timelines contributes to the sense of ambiguity inviting with varied interpretations, I guess. The joyful embrace between Winnie and Bernie and their plans to spend the holidays together offer a heartwarming conclusion to the film. This moment of connection and shared happiness resonates with the film's broader theme of the transformative power of relationships. Despite the challenges presented by the alternate timeline, the characters find solace and joy in each other's company, providing a satisfying emotional payoff. In conclusion, the resolution of It's a Wonderful Knife navigates a delicate balance between emotional resonance and narrative complexity. The reunion of Winnie and Bernie, coupled with Bernie's retention of the memories from the alternate timeline, provides a unique conclusion that sparks reflection and interpretation. As we ponder the intricacies of this conclusion, we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back to continue talking about 2023's It's a Wonderful Knife. A bizarre event. Please continue talking. 
investigate the bizarre suicide. An inexplicable phenomenon. No ID. They said they know nothing about it. This would make a great story. For her, it was the chance of a lifetime. I work for the LAI. I'm an investigative reporter. There's got to be some logical explanation for the burning. But some questions... Get away from me! Leave me alone! ...are better left unanswered. What happened? Are you all right? Ah! The woman who jumped. She was my daughter. But now you've come to take her place. Make your fear real. Get it out. It's the night you've been waiting for. Help me! Please help! Kill the man. The night you've been screaming for. It's the final step. Silent Night, Deadly Night, for Emaciation. You're one of us now. Join the club. All right, now that we've broken down the overall story and talked about the movie, let's go ahead and dive into the actors, the direction, writing, and all that jazz. We'll start with the acting. Jane Widdup's portrayal of Winnie Carruthers showcases a nuanced and compelling performance that contributes significantly to the film's emotional depth. As a non-binary actor, Widdup brings a unique perspective to the character, adding layers to Winnie's experiences and emotions. Widdup's performance effectively captures Winnie's journey throughout the film, from the initial holiday celebrations to the harrowing encounters with the angel and the subsequent alternate timelines. The actor skillfully navigates the character's emotional arcs, portraying Winnie's joy, sorrow, and determination with authenticity. One notable aspect of her portrayal is the chemistry they establish with um, other cast members of the film, particularly during the key scenes with Bernie. Um, the genuine connection between the characters enhances the emotional impact of their relationship, making the audience invest more deeply in their uh, in their dynamic. Winnie's resilience and strength in the face of adversity are conveyed convincingly by Widdup, allowing viewers to empathize with the character's struggles and triumphs. Um, the non-binary representation adds a layer of inclusivity to the film, reflecting a commitment to diverse casting and storytelling. Despite being relatively unfamiliar with Widdup's previous work, um, the performance in It's a Wonderful Knife stands out as a testament to their acting capabilities. Um, I know this actress is mainly from her role in uh, Yellow Jackets, which I'm not too familiar with, as I mentioned. Um, but the ability to embody a character undergoing a wide range of emotions and facing supernatural challenges speaks to Widdup's skill in delivering a compelling and authentic portrayal. Jay Widow's performance as Winnie uh, contributes significantly to the film's overall impact. The nuanced portrayal combined with authentic chemistry with the other casts adds depth to the character and enriches the audience's connection to the story. Again, Widow's non-berry representation further enhances the film's commitment to diversity and inclusivity, making, their uh, making this actress's contribution to It's a Wonderful Life both noteworthy and commendable. Joe McHale as David Carruthers presents a departure from his typical comedic performances, showcasing his versatility as an actor. However, the decision to drastically underuse McHale and strip away his signature humor might be viewed as a missed opportunity in the context of the film's horror comedy genre. Uh, McHale, known for his comedic prowess, 
is a standout cast member whose comedic timing and delivery have been key elements in his previous roles. The film's choice to shift his character to a more serious and dramatic tone aligns with the alternate universe concept but arguably sacrifices the potential for humor that could enhance the horror comedy genre fusion. The decision to take away Mikhail's humor while intentional for the alternate universe narrative might leave, like I said, audiences longing for more comedic elements they associate with this actor. In a horror comedy, the balance between scares and laughs is crucial, and Mikkel's comedic background could have contributed to injecting moments of levity into the film, even within the context of a more serious character. While showcasing Mikkel's range as an actor is commendable, it's essential to consider the expectations of the audience, especially when a film is positioned within said horror comedy genre. The challenge lies in finding a harmonious balance between the character's altered demeanor in the alternate universe and the actor's established strengths in comedy. In conclusion, John McKell's underused and humor-depraved portrayal of David Carruthers reflects a deliberate choice to explore a different facet of his acting abilities. However, this decision may be perceived by some, as I have been mentioned, as a missed opportunity in a horror comedy film where the injection of humor, even in the altered character dynamics, could have heightened the overall viewing, viewing experience for the audience. This film's attempt to showcase Mikkel's versatility, I agree, is notable, but the impact of his comedic absence in a genre known for its blend of horror and humor is a, is a negative in the points column and is worth considering. Justin Long's performance as Henry Waters showcases his continued versatility as an actor, particularly within the horror genre. Despite any distracting elements, such as the appearance of his teeth in this film, which we'll touch on, Long delivers a compelling performance that contributes to the film's overall impact. Long's decision to use a very distinctive voice for his character adds depth to his portrayal of Henry Waters. I, I honestly think he was drawing comparisons to Gary Oldman's iconic performance in The Fifth Element, and it suggests a deliberate choice to bring a nuanced and potentially unsettling quality to the character. Uh, this decision highlights Long's commitment to exploring different facets of his acting abilities and creating memorable characters in the horror genre. The distracting nature of certain physical attributes, like the appearance of his teeth, like I mentioned, may pose a challenge for some viewers, but it's a testament to Long's acting prowess that he manages to overcome such elements and deliver a strong performance. Horror films often rely on actors who can convey a sense of unease or menace, and Long's portrayal of Henry Waters aligns within the genre's expectation. Long's consistent presence in horror films positions him as a notable figure within the genre, becoming somewhat of a go-to actor for such roles. His ability to navigate between different tones within horror, from suspenseful to darkly comedic, showcases his adaptability and the trust filmmakers place in his ability to elevate the material. In conclusion, Justin Long's performance reflects his ongoing contribution to the horror genre. Despite some potential distractions to some theatergoers, Long delivers a compelling portrayal that adds depth to the character. 
His decision to experiment with that voice and his continued success in horror films underscores his versatility and solidify his status as a reliable figure within the horror genre. Jess McLeod's portrayal of Bernie Simon proves to be a noteworthy addition to her acting repertoire. While I only really know her from uh, her appearance in Scary Movie 4 from almost two decades ago, McLeod's performance in this horror comedy demonstrates her ability to bring a distinct and irreplaceable quality to her roles. McLeod's interpretation of Bernie Simon stands out, showcasing her versatility as an actor in the genre that seamlessly blends horror and comedy. The character Bernie, a loner figure in the town, becomes a pivotal and memorable presence in the story, largely due to McLeod's performance. Despite the passage of time since Scary Movie 4, her contribution to this film suggests a continued evolution in her acting craft, her ability to infuse Bernie with a unique charm, humor, and authenticity enriches the film's character dynamics. McLeod's presence in this film reinforces her capacity to bring depth and indiv individuality to her role, leaving an impression that transcends the years since her previous notable appearance in the genre. Catherine Isabel's portrayal of Gail Prescott stands out as a captivating performance, leaving a lasting impression on me, and I hope the rest of the audiences that uh, saw this film, in my opinion, renowned for her roles in the Ginger Snaps films and American Mary, Isabel brings her seasoned talent to this horror comedy, infusing the character of Gail with a dynamic energy that resonates with viewers. Gail Prescott emerges as a standout character in the film thanks to Isabel's ability to capture the essence of the role. Despite the limited screen time, Isabel makes each moment count, delivering a memorable and charismatic performance. Her presence on screen injects a welcome dose of personality, humor, and authenticity into the narrative. Fans of Isabel's work, especially those familiar with the films I mentioned earlier, Ginger Snaps and American Mary, are likely to appreciate her contribution to this film. Her portrayal of Gail showcases her versatility as an actor, which over the years, now her characters are mostly the same, um, but she can seamlessly transition between different genres while maintaining a consistent level of engaging and compelling storytelling. While the desire for more screen time for Gail Prescott is understandable, Isabel's ability to leave a lasting impact with the time she has on screen underscores her skills in crafting memorable characters. The film benefits from the unique flair she brings to the character, adding layers to the overall narrative and contributing to the film's uh, appeal. In conclusion, she, her performance serves as a testament to her enduring talent in the horror genre. Her ability to infuse guilt with charm, humor, and authenticity elevates the character and leaves the audiences wanting more. Isabel's contribution to the film reinforces her status as a respected figure in horror cinema, drawing on her past successes to create yet another memorable on-screen presence. The ensemble cast of It's a Wonderful Knife features a diverse array of performances that collectively contribute to the film's atmosphere and narrative depth. Aiden Howard's portrayal of Jimmy Carruthers brings a relatable charm, while Aaron Boyes as Judy Carruthers effectively navigates the emotional nuances within the family. 
Sean Debner's depiction of Buck Waters adds layers to the character, providing a compelling foil to the protagonist. Xenia Marshall as Darla Berlin, Hannah Huggins as Kara Evans, Kiki Fay as Vicki Pepper, and Cassandra Nod as Karen Simons. Each bring their unique energy to the supporting roles, enhancing the overall tapestry of the film. William B. Davis, recognized from the X-Files as mentioned earlier, lends his seasoned presence to the character of Roger Evans, adding a touch of gravitas to the ensemble. Dimitri Vegas as Pete injects a dose of personality, and the collective efforts of the supporting cast contribute to the film's overall tone and pacing. While some performance may shine brighter than others, they all play integral roles in shaping the cinematic experience. With varying degrees of impact, these performances collectively serve as the ingredients that make up the engaging and entertaining final product that is It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life is a collaborative effort directed by Tyler McIntyre and written by Michael Kennedy. While the film navigates the challenging terrain of blending horror and comedy, both McIntyre and Kennedy contribute their distinct talents to the project. Tyler McIntyre as the director demonstrates a commendable ability to balance the film's genre elements. The horror comedy genre demands a delicate equilibrium between scares and laughs, and McIntyre succeeds in maintaining this balance for the most part. His direction guides the film through the intricate twists of the plot, ensuring a coherent and engaging narrative. The pacing, crucial in a genre that relies on both suspense and humor, is effectively managed, keeping the audience invested in the unfolding events. McIntyre's previous work includes the horror comedy Tragedy Girls, which similarly explores a mix of horror and comedy. This film received praise for its satirical take on the slasher genre, showcasing McIntyre's knack for uh, genre-blending stories. The director's experience in the horror comedy space likely influenced his approach to It's a Wonderful Knife, contributing to the film's total consistency and uh, genre conventions. Michael Kennedy's role as the writer is crucial in shaping the story and dialogue of the film. The script for It's a Wonderful Life weaves a complex story that incorporates elements of alternate timelines, supernatural occurrences, and a balance of horror and comedy. Kennedy's writing effectively established and maintains the film's tone, creating moments of tension and humor that resonate with the viewers. Kennedy's previous work includes writing for the television series Son of Zorn and Border Town. While these projects differ in genre from the It's a Wonderful Knife, they showcase Kennedy's versatility as a writer. Son of Zorn blends animation and live action, incorporating elements of comedy and fantasy, highlighting Kennedy's ability to work across different storytelling modes. His versatility likely contributed to his adept handling of the unique demands presented by this film. The collaboration between McIntyre and Kennedy in this film reflects a synergy between direction and writing. The film benefits from their combined expertise in navigating the challenges of the horror comedy genre. McIntyre's experience in crafting genre-blending narratives aligns with Kennedy's ability to create engaging and dynamic scripts. While the film successfully delivers on its genre expectations, there is room for improvement in certain aspects. Some viewers might find elements of the plot predictable, especially concerning the identity of the killer, 
Additionally, the introduction of the supernatural element, such as the mind control powers, could have been more seamlessly integrated into the overall story. In conclusion, McIntyre and Kennedy contributed their respective skills to make this film an engaging horror comedy. McIntyre's direction ensures a well-paced and tonally consistent film, drawing on his experience with similar genre dynamics. Kennedy's writing adds a depth to the narrative, delivering a script that effectively balances horror and comedy elements. While the film may have its predictable moments, the collaboration between these two results in an entertaining cinematic experience that aligns with the expectations of all horror comedy genre. The visual and auditory elements of the film play a pivotal role in shaping its atmosphere and emotional impact. In the case of It's a Wonderful Knife, the contributions of cinematographer Nicholas Pietnik, editor Art Wolf P. Moeller, and composer Russ Howard III collectively shape the film's visual and auditory identity. Cinematography serves as the lens through which the narrative unfolds. The film explores a mix of horror and comedy, as mentioned, demanding a cinematographer capable of adapting to shifting tones. He navigates the dual nature of the genre of skill, capturing the suspenseful moments and the comedic beats with equal prowess. The use of lighting and framing plays a crucial role in establishing the eerie atmosphere during horror sequences, while allowing room for visual gags during comedic moments. His ability to balance these contrasting elements contributes significantly to the film's overall success. The editing of R. Wolf P. Muller is instrumental in maintaining the film's pacing and narrative coherence. Editing in a horror comedy presents a unique challenge as the rhythm must accommodate both moments of tension and moments of levity. P. Muller adeptly weaves together the different elements of the story, ensuring a smooth transition between the film's various tones. The pacing is generally well ex executed, allowing the audience to engage with the story with, without feeling overwhelmed by the abrupt shifts. The editor's work is particularly evident in the scenes where suspense builds before giving way to comedic reveals, showcasing a seamless blending of the horror and humor. Russ Howard III's musical score is a crucial component in enhancing the emotional impact of It's a Wonderful Knife. The film's music contributes to the establishment of tone, intensifying suspense during horror sequences, and underscoring the comedic elements. Howard's score is attuned to the film's genre demands, providing a dynamic and versatile backdrop that complements the narrative. The effective use of the music becomes especially apparent during key moments, heightening the emotional resonance and creating a cohesive audiovisual experience. Examining the individual contributions of these three, it's evident that their collaborative efforts synchronize to create a cohesive cinematic experience. The cinematography sets the visual stage, capturing the essence of both horror and comedy. The editing stitches together the narrative with precision, allowing the film to seamlessly transition between different tones. And Howard's musical score serves as the vital emotional anchor, enriching the overall impact of the film. While the technical aspects of the film largely contribute to its success, there are moments where the cinematography and editing could have been tighter to elevate the suspense and humor further. Some scenes, particularly those intended to be shocking or humorous, may benefit from more precise framing 
and pacing to enhance their impact. In conclusion, the collaborative efforts of these three, as well as the writer and the director, play a pivotal role in shaping the unique identity of It's a Wonderful Knife. Their collective expertise in cinematography, editing, music composition, writing, and directing contribute to the film's engaging visual and auditory landscape. While there may be areas, like I said, for improvement, their combined efforts result in a horror comedy that successfully navigates that delicate balance between scares and laughs. As we delve into the final segment of our analysis, we'll take one final break and we'll be back to wrap up our exploration of It's a Wonderful Night. Welcome to the shop of Joe Petto. Here, you'll find the most amazing gadgets on Earth. Each toy is unique. What a terrible accident. Sarah, you think this is an accident? Look. Each specially designed by the craftsman himself. Fuck, where, where did all these toys come from? Sarah, so what do you know about that old guy from the toy store? I wonder if I told you he was arrested for maiming some kids several years ago. What reason could he have to hurt innocent children? Joe Petter always wanted a real boy. Where's Derek? He took him. Who took him? Where? Who? But he'll have to make what he can get. All you need is a little of that, and a little of that, and a, a little of that. From the producer of Bride of Reanimator. I want my boy! What have you done with him? I'm your son now, not with special effects by screaming Mad George Inc. of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. Comes the most incredible night yet. Mickey Rooney stars in Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toymaker. Merry Christmas! Our twisted sleigh ride through It's a Wonderful Knife has concluded, leaving us with echoes of festive fright and a hint of blood-soaked comedy. As we bid adieu to this holiday horror comedy, let's dissect our thoughts and peer into the shadowy corners of the horror cinematic abyss that awaits. Critics and audience dance a halting waltz with a 55% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a chilling 72% audience score. Metacritic, on the other hand, like a lurking specter, gives it a 51 out of 100. Opinions, much like Phantoms in the Night, are diverse. In my haunting opinion, It's a Wonderful Knife earns standout middle of the road, five out of 10. As we close the creaky door on our festive fright fest, let's turn our gaze to the darkened realms of future horror cinematic adventures. Tune in next week for a spine tingling episode where we unearth the best and worst of 2023 Yamakab journey that promises shocks and spine chilling reflections, or maybe not. But before the final credits roll, let's summon some more delights to haunt your watch list. I recommend a film that we reviewed last year, Halloween Kills, Michael Myers Returns in a Blood-Soaked Rampage. Watch the new uh, Jordan Peele-produced Candyman. It's a spiritual sequel that weaves urban legends into a chilling tapestry. I recommend the movie Antlers, a dark fairy tale with a monstrous secret lurking in the shadows. And if you want a psychological horror stunner, watch Last Night in Soho, Edgar Wright's unsettling descent into a dreamlike nightmare. As the pit door creeps shut on this podcast, stay haunted, keep those popcorn bowls filled with terror, and remember, opinions are as varied as the shadows in a haunted house. I want to thank everybody for coming along this holiday horror season with us, and I'm looking forward to what 2024 has to bring. 
there's some very interesting films on the horizon and I'm extremely excited to dive into them. So once again, thank you all and as always, till next time, giddies. Thank you for listening to this The Movie Pit Movie Review. We hope you have enjoyed your time. Come back to the Movie Pit Podcast each week for a new movie review podcast. The Movie Pit is produced by Ryan Boozer Johnson and Seth Chapman. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts may not reflect the views of RMJ Media Incorporated. See you next week.